Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Uh, welcome to the next reel, the film board. Uh, we are going to talk about, uh, we're, this is our great, our very special episode this week. This is the big crossover episode where we, we begin to make the migration, the shift, the change, the transition, the transference between magic <laughs> films about magic, the films about stealing things. And, uh, so we have gathered here today to take on now you see me. 
Or or just call it now you don't. <laughs> Hi, and that's Andy Nelson over there. Hello, Andy. Hello. And uh, Steve Sarmento, you're over there. My name is Michael Kane. <laughs> <laughs> and over there next to Michael Kane is Chad Stoops. I'm Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Pete Wright. Thank you all for joining us. Make sure you check in at, at thenextreel.com. You can subscribe to the show free. You can go to facebook.com slash thenextreel and subscribe again in iTunes. Make sure it's delivered to you for free every week. And that is the end of the old business. Where would you like to begin, John? So we should probably spend the first part in a spoiler-free discussion, yeah. I'm assuming. To yeah. Okay, so we'll that sort of lets me know what's... Okay. What's fair? What's fair game? What, what, what's right. fair game? So I, I'll start with I guess I I enjoyed it. I had fun. There was magic. There was the Hulk. There was little James Franco. There was <laughs> a weird logo for the Four Horsemen that I kept waiting to see something happen with. It, I <laughs> was wondering about throughout the whole movie and uh, and and Morgan Freeman. It was what more could you ask for in a film? <laughs> well, that's true. Well, Probably not much. Uh, that's, Clearly, that's, not much. But the, they knew they had everything they wanted in a film. <laughs> oh. Uh, okay. Oh dear, Chad. I was saddened by this film, and that's actually sort of rare for you, right? You're you kind of are a liker of most movies that others don't. I really wanted to like this movie, but the second anybody opened their mouths, my stomach, I felt like I ate bad cheese. <laughs> the second anybody opened their mouths? Wow. Dialogue. Well, first of all, I, and I don't want to say that this movie, I, here's, here is my, in, a, in a, just a quick one, two. one or two sentence thought, I think that had they, it looks like a, a great idea on the surface. And it really is on the surface a great idea. However, had they taken the time, I feel like, to have had like six different writers, you know, one for the idea and another really great writer for the dialogue and another idea, you know, somebody else for the characters developing, they could have had something really great. But they just, it seemed like they, they had the good idea and then they just threw that out there as the, as the entire movie was this great idea. And that's what was hard to watch because the rest of it around of it just sort of crumbled, I felt, for the, for the entire movie. And, and I, I, I feel that way because I... Are you, are you there? Are you, did you swallow the microphone? <laughs> did I? Yeah, you broke up. I'm sorry. I f I'm sorry. So I felt like that the actors weren't put in a place where they could really uh, do the best job they could. The only person I felt that I enjoyed was Woody Harrelson's character throughout. I thought he was fun, but I just had a hard time with the other people believing that they were even, you know, magicians or believing that they were really a part of it. It felt like they were they were detached and they had to kind of rifle through this very fast movie. So, but other than that, the tricks were fun. I just wanted to open up by saying I didn't feel, as for an actor, from my standpoint, watching it, I felt very sad watching the other actors trying to deal with the dialogue in this movie movies like or i mean lines just like like you know i'm taking over the case now so abracadabra that's just like wow <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, Andy. Yeah. It, you know, I think we all went in really, really wanting to like this film. I mean, the trailer got me excited the first time I saw it. When they released the the opening clip, I got even more excited. It just everything looked really, really uh, fun. And it looked like they were going to do kind of a really unique film. And as I started watching it, and I, I don't think I had quite the same reaction Chad did as far as some of the dialogue and stuff. I mean, there's definitely issues. But really, for me, it just fell down to the story, which it, it just was, it felt like a, a convoluted mess. And like they were trying to play all these tricks on us constantly that didn't really, uh, sometimes I could buy into them. Sometimes I was like, okay, I see where they're going. And and then I later I was like, okay, well, I, I see where they wanted me to be going. And now I see where they're going. And I could see how they were, they were playing me and stuff. But by the time I got to the end, I was just like, I, I really felt like they, the story was almost like they were just wanting the story to function in a way where it was constantly tricking you and it didn't really lead to anything. And and uh, I enjoyed watching it, but the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, none of it really makes sense. There's there's no logic behind any of it. And as you think about it, and I, I almost would guarantee on a second watching, I, I feel like it would just completely fall apart because none of the story pieces really, there's no logic. And a big problem I have also with the story is I, I just don't even know who I'm supposed to be following. I kept, you know, feeling like I was shifting who who's the protagonist of this film who am I following who am I supposed to be liking here and uh and, and who is it who's guiding me through the story and it, it it never really settled on anybody and by the time I got to the end I still didn't know who I was following it was very confusing and uh in the end yes I enjoyed watching it on a cursory level as I left the theater and I started thinking about it the whole thing fell apart for me and I just, I, I found myself getting more and more frustrated with the whole idea of what they did with it. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's kind of where I fell on, I fell down on this one too. I, and, and I think all of us, I mean, we've been talking about this movie for so long, uh, because it seemed to have all of the elements going into it that, that, uh, really light us up about movies. You know, the, the, the idea of a magic film, which I think we're on the record of saying, you know, magic films are fantastic. And uh, kind of channel for me that inner twelve-year-old that you know I I just crave and heist films. Please give me you know the the this is this is uh, you know this is an Oreo cookie of entertainment for me, and that I you know I, I it was so compelling that through the first and second acts I really was deeply like I, I was so I into wanting it. To, to be great that I, I found myself actively sort of chanting the ignore that mantra, you know, just ignore yeah. it, just let it go, let it go, let it go. Uh, because then they would get on stage and they'd do one of their three, you know, sort of horseman acts and I would get kind of excited about it. And then the third act comes around and it's just a house of cards. It just falls completely apart. And I, I, I felt like I, I couldn't quite ignore that anymore. I'm, I'm right with Andy on I have no idea who to root for. Um, you know, by the end of it, I, I didn't know who, you know, who I was supposed to care about or why. Uh, was this a caper film? Uh, was this a revenge flick? Uh, was this an, an audition for a secret magical cult film? Uh, you know, that, uh, as far as I know, that could be a whole new genre. 
and and so those those things I think the the movie is at great odds with itself, and at great odds I think with all of the the threads that they attempted to you know as Andy said you know they're constantly trying to trick us and uh, and so there are so many threads at at work in this um, in this film I think it just unravels. Uh, by the time you hit the third act, and and realize that the the you know there was no way to see coming uh, what happened. When are we going to do spoilers? Are we going to do let, that let, soon? Let, let's let's give it a minute. Right, I, another, I, you got more to say. Okay, I just wanna, yeah. I just feel like the oh, the final the final reveal. Uh, if I go back and watch this movie, I feel like there is no way for me to pull apart the final reveal, apart from being enormously cynical and saying, well, of course it's that guy because all the fingers are pointing elsewhere. So, it, you know, there's no way yeah. to go back and rebuild the logic, internal logic of the film to try to deduce who is the ultimate, you know, uh, the the ultimate kind of uh, uh, perpetrator, uh, you know, apart from being just that kind of person. And that's you know that that if you're that kind of person, you may really enjoy this because you'll have seen it coming all along. Right. Well, I, I think the you know with the third act, what happened was it it couldn't it couldn't decide what story it wanted to tell because I think really what this could have been expanded into, if taken in the right direction, like a little six part series of the four horsemen. You've got this interesting these four you know independent you know, street magicians, some of them, you know, two of them have a history together as, you know, uh, he, you know, an assistant to the other. And there was some interesting um, dynamics between them. And I think that's, you know, what made the scenes with Woody Harrelson really exciting. There was this, this tension and in, in dynamic between these four people that are drawn to something and are sort of agreed to work together, but they still don't get along. I wanted more of that of, because we, we jump and then they're doing these shows and we have these little scenes with them still, there's some tension. They don't, they, they're in this because they want to get to the end, but they don't necessarily get along. And that was an interesting dynamic that if played out over several episodes of them doing more shows to build towards this big mysterious thing that they don't know who the sort of puppet master is, but they're just following these directions. To me, that would be a very interesting story of how they have to work together and agree to disagree and just put those differences aside because they have this common goal. That's a movie I would really enjoy seeing or a series based on these these characters. That could be a really cool series that that they could expand on. I, I wish that they had the opportunity to do that because I, I did enjoy the the idea of what you're talking about, these four magicians coming together to be drawn into this the eye cult, you know, this ancient uh you don't... whatever it is, ancient Egyptian Egyptian cult or whatever. Which, you know, in as it is in the film, it, it you know, it only holds together in the fact that it's it's them. Uh, that's the only reason that they're doing these shows. Um, but it could have been. It, you're right. I mean, if if they had done it in a different uh, venue, like a TV series or a miniseries or, you know, whatever, it could have it could have turned into something else. Unfortunately, it's not. This is this is what it is, which is. Yeah. You know. And what's interesting about that, that, you know, and I, I agree with you. And the whole time I kept thinking, you know, gosh, this is the wrong medium for this story. Right. And, you know, I didn't think Im immediately about a, a TV series or, a, you know, a series of films. I thought about a graphic novel. You know, I mean, uh, this is, you know, where you get that chance to really explore each of the characters, uh, you know. But in either case, as I'm watching this film, I keep thinking to myself, man, this feels a lot like. Uh, you know the tone and scripting of a 
uh, you know, of a caper television show, you know, leverage kept coming to mind, you know, I mean, it just, it just felt like, you know, this is a, this is going to be your Sunday afternoon TBS guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and that's what it, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's just where I was. I, I, I was never able to, I didn't know what they wanted me to get out of it. Right. Because, you know, when you watch these caper movies, you either want to, have complete faith in the fact that the magicians really are the smartest people in the room, right? And that everything they do, every trick they pull off, every time they are, you know, almost caught but not, uh, that it's because they are the smartest people in the room. And yet the the hints, the breadcrumbs they kept dropping for us were not that. It was always they they were about to get caught and they their relationship was shaky. Uh and and that they they may not be. And in fact the resolution is you know, they weren't. I did it. They were not the smartest people in the room. And the worst part is is that in the beginning, I, I mean, when I saw it, because, uh, you know, watching Jesse Eisenberg, it felt a little as well that he was Mark Zuckerberg in this movie um, playing. I think he's going to have a hard time shaking that. He <laughs> like Mark Zuckerberg in this movie. Like, he really was like, kind of like Mark Zuckerberg, what he would have done if it would have been about, you know, Mark Zuckerberg as a magician. I, it just, <laughs> it's, it's his parallel life. There's, there's an yeah. argument to be made that that's true. <laughs> I felt like they were trying to deceive us about who they were because it seemed forced when he was in the, you know, the jail cell or wherever, where they're in the holding room. I just felt like it was like, oh, this is an act. And so I was like, okay. Okay, I'm just gonna go with the fact that maybe the trick is is it's deeper. But I felt like what you guys were trying, like what you were saying a lot about it, was that it didn't it didn't allow you to follow anybody, but then it didn't allow you it didn't allow you as the audience a chance to have some sort of idea about what was you know what what was the trick or what was what was happening. So they kept revealing these tricks, you know. Goes on, but you don't ever feel the sense of you're part of the film. It's just this kind of constant joke, <laughs> like you know, like uh, like they're kind of doing this whole thing to show you something, but it's really not allowing you to involve yourself. And when that well, happens- and so that's a question. So Chad, uh, let's uh, let's go around uh, uh, around Chad. When you, as you're watching the film, you were getting into the third act. Who did you have picked for uh, for pegged for the uh, ultimate perpetrator? What did you think was was going to happen? Like who who were you locked? Who who were you paying the most attention to? <laughs> I honestly had no clue. I mean, I had no clue who it was. I had no idea. I felt like um, I felt like okay, it's going to be somebody that. Uh, I was like, okay, maybe Michael Caine. But then I thought, that doesn't make any sense. But then I thought, whoever they're going to show, it doesn't matter because it's not going to make any sense at first anyway. Exactly. That was the thing. I I thought, even for a second, I was like, oh, it's Morgan Freeman's assistant because why is she always there? Right. You know, it's like, it's going to be somebody that we've seen. But then when they reveal who it is, I'm like, okay, if I watch this a second time, knowing what I know now about this character... Does the way that character behaves throughout this film now make sense? Because, yes. you know, yeah, that, exactly. was, that was the I'm like, or is it part of the show of, well, I've got to behave this way because I'm playing a part in this grand scheme of this trick, this show. So and that gets to the point of, wow, somebody that not only has 
apparently a ton of money to put all this stuff together, but just a deep understanding of human nature to be able to manipulate everybody to make everything happen just that way by, you know, saying the right things and reacting these ways to make sure everything goes that way. It, it was, I, it had me up until that point. And then I thought, uh, okay. And that's the thing, Steve, you, you, you're kind of hitting on, well, kind of sort of like hitting on, I feel like is that when you're trying to figure out who would it like in the matrix, we're all like, Oh, who's Morpheus. Right. And then they eventually reveal who Morpheus is, right? And that's like, okay, and then who's this person? Well, okay, then we eventually see who this person is. And that's it's a different movie. But the thing is, is that when you want to know what the Matrix is or you want to know what, you know, and comparing it to that, you find out what it is. I don't think I ever figured out who what the the big eye thing was. I never I, I got that that is is who he is, but it felt like they could have done that with anybody in that film. Yes. And, around it at the end of that they could have written this film made it and they go and all the actors would have gone gosh who is it on the final day of shooting i think i think chad oddly enough dropped out right as he was spoiling the movie <laughs> <laughs> well and the thing is i think it because it could have been anybody they could have written like 10 different alternate endings with it being this person and this person with this you know because the the and that was the part even in the end i'm like okay was the motive because there apparently there were two motives there was the revenge thing, but then there was also the, oh, I'm going to take these people through this sort of trial to prove themselves as, as magi magicians. So I was like, there were two sort of goals or objectives to this whole grand plan. I, you know, I, but that, that's what confused me of what was the ultimate purpose? Because we've got the eye and this initiation thing, but also this sort of self-serving revenge plot. And Honestly, it, it could have been any of those characters that could have been connected to that. Either of those. Well, and that's the point. I mean, you say they yeah. could have written 10 alternate endings. Yeah. I think they did and chose to use six of them. Right? right. I mean, it, here, <laughs> as they're wrapping up each of these, that the fact that this ended up being uh, something of a revenge plot, uh, or I should say something of an audition plot, was a complete surprise. Like, a... Comp uh, there, uh, there was zero setup of the fact that these guys were trying to were going to be you know indoctrinated into something bigger, mm -hmm. and I think that's an important omission, uh, and and one that really hurts the film because uh, I I think you they they could have made something you know sort of much more interesting about that journey uh, and the fact that it was a journey to be able to work together because I don't think anywhere in the film do we have this real sense that this team except for the when they're on stage do we have any real sense for this team being something bigger than the sum of their parts uh, and and I think that's a real frustrating thing I you know what you what I what you really want to see in a team movie like this is is a team that comes together and actually ends up working together in a way that is you know substantively different than than uh, you know the work that they uh, than what you see in the you know when they're not together and and it, they put on these really fancy shows but ultimately when they're together off stage they're just sort of chaotic yeah it was it was a, a little sloppy uh with all of that and you know things i mean are are we have we entered spoiler we i think we've kind of have crossed into spoiler zone, right? I think I broke that earlier. Yeah. Well, we did. We haven't named anybody. In well, Chad, Chad did in a in a <laughs> in a microphone drop. Did, but, did, uh, did he say I, he's angry all the time, and that's the trick? <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely spoiling it now. Um, you know, I I thought early on as I was watching the film, 
that they were setting it up to be uh, Melanie Laurent as the person. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so she's the person. And and then as I was going, it became really obvious that they were setting her up. And they actually point out, you know, you know, she's the one. And I'm like, okay, well, that's too obvious. They they got me on that one. But then as I thought about it, I'm like, it doesn't really make sense for any of these people. And, and you know, that's when it came to this point where it's just like, it's complete nonsense. And the more that I thought about it, the, there are moments like when... Melanie Laurent's character is filling Mark Ruffalo, the idiot about magic, about this great magician who did this trick that took so long. It involved, you know, putting a card in a tree 20 years uh, before he then did this other trick where he cut it in half. And, you know, Mark Ruffalo's like, oh, yeah, that's a great little magic trick, blah, 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 only to have that tie into the end because Mark Ruffalo had been planning it all along. It's like, you know, how on earth would she have coincidentally come up with that story to tell him? And, you know, it just things like that just it, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't make any sense on 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 thinking about it after the fact. Well, there there was a little bit of a tie because when they first meet Morgan Freeman, he you know, there's that whole issue of. You know the 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 magician whose career he basically destroyed. You yeah. know, and, and and so that introduces that that character that is kind of mentioned mentioned throughout. But again, with with the Mark Ruffalo's character, I'm like, oh, at one point I was like, oh wow, he's the stand-in for the audience. He knows nothing, so it gives these characters a reason to explain these aspects of magic because he's just this complete, you know. He's completely ignorant of apparently anything having to do with magic because everybody's always having to explain to him, oh, here's this secret society, here's this, and this is why you have to do this. And I'm like, so I thought, okay, that, that's sort of our end, so I'm going to identify with this character. He's, you know, We're going to discover things through his. But then it just it fell apart so quickly after that. that... The trick of the movie. The trick of the movie is not to get to know any of the characters. That's right. We're looking too close. So we've got to watch this movie from across the street. <laughs> that that may projected, that may improve back. things. Yeah. Uh, the, I thought it was I thought it was going to be common. The uh, <laughs> the <laughs> the uh, Evans or Michael uh, Kelly the the tranny yeah <laughs> FBI agent. It was definitely the tranny FBI agent. Um, I I was frustrated. I found myself frustrated with uh, the the. the 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 second four horsemen film I, I or four horsemen uh, uh, thing trick. I think trick started uh, uh, really it began the the long I should say the short unravel for me uh, it's that we had built up this relationship of um, you know of the, the a that there were going to be three shows right because the first show they said was you know part one uh, and that Michael Caine is really rich this character Arthur Tressler and. So there is this presumption as a member of the audience that the whole thing is out there to dupe Michael Caine, right? Yeah. And it turns out that uh, that ended up not being the case at all because this it was the second show that was out to dupe Michael Caine. They got his money and gave it all back to the audience uh, after the second show. So then uh, what's left is this long sort of downhill special effects spiral uh, toward the third show, which is... I, you know, there's this whole sleight of hand with the giant mirror room and, you know, where the money went and where it should have gone. And there's all of this that I am still, uh, I think, completely in the dark on. 
but I, I don't know where the where was the where was the Robin Hood in this whole thing. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I feel oh, like they, that, that, the third part. Well, if you look at it, each each of the different shows tied to each of those three organizations or entities that were related to that right. event so long ago. So the third one. Yeah, it, it's not as clear, but it's you know, it's the setup of, of, of Morgan Freeman's character. But, yeah, but there's. Well, it wasn't really clear, but there wasn't really a performance. They sort of showed up on the roof and. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. There was nothing to it. There wasn't a show or anything. They just sort of lured everybody there. And then jump off the roof and turn right. to money. Right. That's <laughs> no. why they call it okay. money. That's why they call it money. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a little David Mamet. From, I think that's from Heist with yeah, Gene Hackman. Think, yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, okay. So uh, I, you know, I get that. That was the other thing I think Andy and I were trying to figure out was Morgan Freeman, that, that whole thing where the guy, it was about the, the other guy underwater and the safe that didn't open. Yeah. Cause they yeah. went after, they went, he was writing the wrongs from him because the, the bank had done something. Hello? The, there was the bank, there was the insurance company that had, had backed him or something and the safe company. Right. And I, I can't quite remember how the bank and the insurance company tied in, but obviously they did because he had to go after them. Well, and so how did, but then, uh, and forgive then, me, because clearly I was so frustrated by this movie that I, I missed this point. Well, what was, Chad, are you, you're still talking. What's up? Hello? Chad? I he's don't think gone. he's there. He's gone. All right. So for, forgive me if I, if I missed this, because clearly I missed this point. Mo what was Morgan Freeman's uh, why was he the one that uh, Rhodes wanted to see rotting in jail? He Because he, the first magician that he sort of did his revealing secrets of magic was was the guy who then to try to resurrect his career does the I'm going to escape from the safe thing. So you're saying that the entire revenge plot yeah. was centered on... The fact that uh, uh, that his dad was pushed too far by a rogue magic journalist, magic debunker. Yes, mm. that's that's what we're going to hang our hat on. That's what I walked away from. Yeah. It. Yeah. I, now that you say that, I think that that is what I recall from it, and it, I, maybe that's why I quickly forgot yeah. it because yeah, I think it's it was just, just so bad. Because I want more about oh. the magic eye and the mystery, and that—that that was the thing that upset me. Was I had a heist movie and magic, and it was like after the first show, it was like, bam, we're going to debunk this. I'm like, wait, you're supposed to save all this for the end to see how everything comes together. Yeah. But then I—I I realized I actually appreciated those. Because you could actually, you know, when they're standing on the that stage in Vegas and they show some, some of the tricks, because those were ones where I'm like, okay, they're showing us. But later on, when Morgan Freeman's like, oh, I think I know how they did this. He just tells us a story of like, oh, well, yeah. And one of them probably went to a hospital and, and stole a cadaver. And they probably had this bus with this car thing. And I'm like, <laughs> he has no clue. He's, as far as I know, he's making that whole thing up. Right. But we were yeah, supposed right. to believe it. <laughs> But that one was so, so far out there. I thought, I don't know if he's now, I believe him as a magic debunker because he's just telling a tale now to try to save his hide, I think. It, because I I couldn't make sense of that one. It, right. it didn't feel like a magic trick more than, you know, a billionaire with lots of money to 
you know, make a little mini Hollywood movie for fun or something. I, I don't know. Although, I mean, I was it just me or was that just totally obvious that that uh, Dave Franco was still alive? Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was yeah. right before I mean, I, he, I, he screams, "Come on!" Yeah, <laughs> and then drives it like you see him yeah. turn the wheel into yeah. the bridge embankment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that was not uh, that was not yeah. well played, and and that they had gone through so much, uh, you know, when they when they do the Scooby Doo replay, yeah, and they show that you know there's there's uh, Woody driving the bus and has the giant the other car on a giant truss that nobody <laughs> else is. the the news helicopter for some reason didn't notice. That. Yeah, yeah, and then and then and I would. I would have to go back and rewatch the film, but are we still intercutting between Ruffalo chasing him and, and Franco driving? Because if so, that makes no sense. If Franco really, you know, zipped off way ahead of them while this dummy car was dropped out into the street. Well, yeah, cause it was attached to the front of the bus and the bus cuts off, cuts yeah. off. Yeah. Agent Rhodes there. And that's when he's like, oh, I'm going to lose him. And then they zing around and then, Oh, there's a, you see the car, but it's, They've switched cars. I just can't so, remember if we cut to Franco's face again. Oh, yeah. I Because if you know, so, that would be just a, a poor choice to make. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, again, it's another one where it's like, again, why is he acting this way? Yeah. If, you know, because I mean, the one that really came back to me as I was walking to the theater is, I think it's Morgan Freeman says to him, you know, you know, why or somebody says to him, you know, why, why her, why a desk yeah. agent from whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he gets all like, you know, I don't want to talk to you right now. I'm like, why yeah. is, but give, and I'm like, there's no reason for him to behave that way. Unless he's thinking he is expected because everybody else sees him and he's got to play a part. But I'm like, that makes no sense to me. That was the it's, exact it's... same scene that I thought of. I'm like, there's no logical reason for him to be, talking that way to her unless right. he suspects that morgan freeman is spying on him right Other, otherwise it absolutely makes no sense it's just yeah. completely completely there for the purpose of the film for us to be tricked exactly that's i think that was the um i think that was the thing that i i, I you know that i had trouble with is that it just felt like the movie so desperately wanted to pull one over on us um a la the great movies that had that successfully pull ones over yeah. on us yeah. and uh they they just went a, a bridge too far every single turn yeah. uh and eventually kind of lost track of themselves i just it was not the same movie that they that that it, you know at the end that uh, that that started out so um let's can we just run through the four horsemen um sure yeah. i mean because there are there are enjoyable moments there, with, with oh, some yeah. of these characters yeah, that i really that i think are. we should mention yeah uh, you know for me i i quite liked the open and and had already seen the open right because yeah. this was part of the the initial uh, that was ah, the clip that they had but it wasn't up. the ex- wasn't the exact same open it, it because, wasn't they didn't because, have the hooded guy yeah because right? as, as i was watching it with my daughter she leans over she goes wait a second that hooded guy wasn't there when we saw the the when we saw this before online i said ah good eye that, that is a good eye because I, I actually had I had supplanted that hooded guy in there. I I had put him in there because when I you know when I saw it I was like especially the Dave Franco bit, yeah. I thought I remember him running into the guy on the thing. I I just could have sworn that. But your your daughter can uh, can go join the uh, eye in the magical. She's welcome to the magic. Yes, the magical carousel. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I I particularly liked the that entire opening sequence for each of the four horsemen. I thought that was a a great 
setup, although it felt very much like, again, leverage, particularly Jesse Eisenberg's. I thought that was a great open. It was a great, strong open, and, and it felt like uh, kind of the opening to a David Copperfield special, you know, and, and that, that kind of set me up really well. And that's, that's again, what, what kept raising my hopes. Um, you know, so I thought he was strong in spite of Chad, uh, you know, um, Chad's, I think, good observation that, that Eisenberg is, is having a hard time shaking his Zuckerberg, his inner Zuckerberg. Yeah, right. Um, I loved Woody Harrelson's bit. I, I love the whole idea of him getting between using mentalism and hypnosis to get in between, uh, to, you know, shake down this couple of the, the man having an affair. Um, and, um, uh, Dave Franco stealing stuff, and finally Isla Fisher, uh, really horrifically escaping a a uh, you know a, a, the locked cage of piranhas. And I think she pronounces it Isla, but I think she likes it when you call her Isla. I'm, see, that's another thing that she she clearly <laughs> we haven't. An, <laughs> Isla. It's because of Madonna. It's because of Madonna. This is Madonna's fault. Uh, Isla, Isla, Bonita. <laughs> like, you say Salmon. I do. I say salmon. You do, don't you? <laughs> except, except for when referencing Rushdie, when it's just salmon. <laughs> <laughs> salmon Rushdie. Salmon Rushdie. That's good. Um, uh, so I, you know, I, I, I like that. Uh, you know, I thought that was a, I thought that was a great bit. I, I um, so, uh, so uh, they, go. they all had, okay. they all had some really good scenes. I yeah. thought the fight scene with Dave Franco, oh. uh, Mark Ruffalo, yeah. and Michael Kelly in the apartment complex. Yeah. That was a phenomenal fight scene. I had so yeah. much fun watching it from beginning to end. Absolutely. Up, in, up until we got to the road. I mean, I, ha I right. had so much fun watching that scene. Oh, that totally. But what is it? What uh, what setup do we have that Dave Franco is this amazing pugilist? Well, and that's what I kept wondering. I'm like, maybe they cast him because they needed, you know, a charismatic guy who would be there when they were doing the four horsemen bits. But otherwise, when he was on stage, or he was so not a part of the story. And so is all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, here's the Dave Franco. This is why he did the movie yeah. because he had so not been in the movie up until that point. Yeah. And, you know, and and I actually I think he did fine. I, I he's he's one of those actors I didn't pay a lot of attention. He was in the last sort of the the uh, coda season of Scrubs. He was one of the doctors, and so I I feel like I sort of got to know him there. He did, you know, he's he in Twenty One Jump Street, Twenty One Jump Street, and Fright Night. And I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff, but uh, and and he was in Warm Bodies, uh, uh, you know, recently. But oh, you know what? He can do. He, they set up. He can throw cards like Ricky Jay. He can slice. What was it? A pencil and. Whatever. So that's when he's yeah. flinging. When he has a choice yeah. between the the you know the fireplace poker and the cards, he picks up. He the picks cards the and cards. He, <laughs> it's just like slicing into Mark Ruffalo's face. So that was a nice touch. That, that, it doesn't justify. Oh, we're gonna have him because we're gonna need him to throw cards at, at people in case we're getting chased. And and yeah, he was. I think that was the only time on stage we saw him do anything was. And carry a big flashlight. Yeah, he can well, do that. And, that's really it. and, and I <laughs> guess I mean from a from a you know from the perspective of the story, not just from yeah. Dave Franco as a talented you know yeah. uh, physical actor, but from the perspective of the story, w when was there a, was there any setup that that Dave Franco's character was the tough guy of the Four Horsemen? No, I don't think Dave Franco was anything. And suddenly, because <laughs> we, we know how Chad feels about the Francos. Well, and and I suddenly he is Frank. amazing with his fists and jumping all over and d disappearing into the curtains. And I mean, he was suddenly fantastic. And I, that I, I thought was a great scene, totally out of place. It, it belonged into one of the Bourne movies. 
Yeah. Well, okay. I think it was the, you know, he's fast with his hands because he, there were several times where he's, you know, set up as the pickpocket. And I think in that fight, it was, you know, handcuffing people, the things. So, you know, as a, as a street performer, you know, somebody that can, you know, pick pockets and move quickly. I, I mean, right. I think that may have been the closest justification I could come up with of, of, but apparently so good. He was, he was eye worthy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he was supposed to be the sleight of hand. Can you guys hear me still? Yeah, no? now we can. Yeah, all of a sudden yeah. we can. Oh, you're good. Okay, I noticed you guys didn't miss me at all when I was gone. We totally missed gone. you. We were trying to make it like a like you weren't even gone thing. We were trying to just make that. it, and now you're calling it out. So the magic movie magic is completely the movie magic is gone. Gone. Ignore ignore the Chad behind the curtain. That's right. <laughs> it's a magic Chad. Well, did you guys? Okay, I'm gonna ask you this. Did you like the scene when they all met at the door? Because I kind of liked that scene, although it was really fast, and you kind of got to know them really, really fast. That's where I wanted something about the eye. You know, looking back, that's where, to me, it was, they have these cards, there's something going on. With the eye. And that's what I think would have been the key place of, you know, what really drew them. I mean, if a weird tarot card shows up in my shoe... I mean, clearly, it's something that magicians know. My apartment because I got a tarot card, in my shoe, of course. <laughs> right. You know? uh, that was, but yeah. there was there was that was the only thing that was missing to that. But it it did a nice job of setting up, you know, things. Even even the the you know punchline later on when uh, Jesse Eisenberg catches her, he's like, "Oh yeah, I guess you did lose a little weight." You know, there was yeah. going yeah. to. For the discussion of not fitting through the trap door. I was like, okay, there was the, again, more of those characters. As I said, I wanted more of that. Yeah. And aside from the stage, we don't really see much of the, the dynamic of those characters and that it started off great. Yeah. 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 Well, I like Woody. I think Woody though, I felt like he was really kind of his own thing that kind of, well, he's always I'm, good. He's yeah. Terrible. He was so good. Like I felt like, uh, what was this when he was actually first in the, uh, you know, the interrogation room with Mark Ruffalo? And <laughs> yes, just, that was a. I thought that was a great scene. Brilliant. Yeah. That was yeah. a great scene. It was so like the audience was just laughing every time Woody Harrelson said stuff. I mean, everybody laughed because he was so on. You know, he was his character. But I didn't quite understand why. You know, it, it, they revealed too much through dialogue. You know yeah. why they didn't like each other, which you'd never want to do. Like you know. I felt like um, I want to say Mark Mark Zuckerberg. It's Jesse. Let me just clear this up. I like Jesse Eisenberg. I didn't want to make it so I don't like Jesse Eisenberg. He's great. But I felt like they gave him dialogue to explain their relationship because it was just too much to actually have a relationship. Then why did they need the relationship? Right. Like you you don't even know why they have to have this relationship. Why they all have to four be together. And I was was just for the weight loss joke. Well, that's, exactly. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, that's, why that's a writer. Gonna... That's a writer who fell in love with a bit right there. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's, yeah, it was. It looked like it's. It felt like four teenagers that got together and they had these really funny lines and like let's figure out how we can put them in a movie together. Yeah. But Isla, I didn't. I didn't. Isla's character, I felt, was always, always on. She was always in a show. And you mean, I didn't. You mean Isla? Are you talking about it, Isla? Oh, yeah, Isla. Like, I can't I, even, I don't even hear her if you she don't She lives say. on an Island. Isla. <laughs> She's an Island. <laughs> Curse you, Madonna. Madonna. But she didn't, she didn't um, come to me, like, I, I, I come to me, she didn't come across to me as a person that 
off of the stage was much different. Like she was just louder. And I didn't feel like she just seemed like she was performing. <laughs> she's just I, louder off stage. Like she's louder, no, louder on oh. stage. Sorry. <laughs> she's louder on stage so everybody could get to hear her. And then when she's off stage, she's still sort of like performing her thing. And I didn't get a sense of who she was really. I, I felt like that one place that, that they all met at, you know, by the stairs when they're at the door, that was the only time I felt a little bit like, oh, I'd really like to get to know her. But, you know, and then, like you said, like the same thing with, with Dave Franco's character. You know, like, wow, who is this other guy? He seems like kind of like a cool, charming guy. And then he does that whole scene and you're like, oh, you're right. He's the sleight of hand guy that can do all these other tricks that are never shown on any of the acts in their show. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> His skill is the guy whose skills are totally wasted in this film. Wasted. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know. I mean, that's I felt like this script was not finished, was not completed. It could have been. Okay, here's my question to you guys. If you could write the script, what would you? First of all, I would take out the carousel. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need, just... Did you guys need, given this film, did you need a big turnabout at the end? I mean, no. obviously, we need the we need to figure out who the guy in the hood is. But really, could you know this could have been? I I think this movie may have been just way too complex for itself, and 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 there's so much I didn't need to didn't need so many storylines I didn't need. I I could have been perfectly satisfied with this being what we expected it to be a magic caper film, of these four people who came together with these skills explicitly to steal stuff from people, and this is their story. Yeah. Right. I mean, that this became uh, this tangled in this web of, of family deceit over the course of 20 years. I I was not more satisfied for the depth of that story. Hmm. No, that, that story itself really felt like the the forced turn, like in a ghost story where all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's really, you know, the neighbor who had killed yeah. her 20 years ago. It's a, uh, like you just killed the whole excitement about this ghost story by all of a sudden now it's just this present day, these other people that are all around. Uh, you know, that's how I felt. Oh, was it like stir of echoes or something with uh, Kevin Bacon right. like 10 years ago or whatever. It, it was one of those films where it's like, it sets up something that's really interesting, but then all of a sudden it throws all these other elements in it that just become, you know, it clutters the story. The whole thing with Morgan Freeman was stuff we did not need. That whole Thaddeus Bradley <laughs> thing was just not needed at all. Likewise, like you're saying, with the whole backstory of of Rhodes' daddy who died in a safe, it just, you know, it didn't fit. The idea that you have, that you just presented, of telling this story about these these magicians, these four horsemen who go on this Robin Hood, you know, you know, crazy time giving, you know, stealing banks in the middle of, uh, you know, of Vegas of stealing bank uh, money from banks in France and giving it to all the audience members. That was a much more exciting story. And if they could have made that the film, I would have probably loved it. Yeah, because yeah. that's that's what we were sort of promised through the trailer. It's like, here's these magicians. You know, they steal from a bank in France. And it's like, you know, then you get that line of like, you know, in the interrogation room, he's like, well, you're not going to press charges against us because otherwise you're, the FBI is going to have to state that basically they believe in magic. We've got an airtight alibi, and that's an interesting story. They keep pulling off heists. Absolutely. That the only way to explain this magic. And uh, oh, Steve, you are. That's what we wanted to see. You are exactly right. I thought that sequence was the absolute. And that's where the film was at its logical best. 
Yeah. And I think the bar was high at that point when he says exactly that line. The only way for you to to figure there to prove this is to, uh, you know, is to admit that, you know, you believe in magic. I thought that was that is the whole premise. Please just mm. give play that out. Let us see what that's like uh, and, and see how the police actually and the and law enforcement actually addresses this. That's like this isn't this becomes a film uh, uh, that is an argument of faith. And I want to see that played out on screen and on stage. And and they mm. absolutely dropped the ball. And that's when they still had the magicians uh, as the protagonists of the film. Like, those were the exactly. people we were following. Right. And yes. from that point forward, that's when everything starts unraveling. Because all of a sudden, the magicians become this this just act that we tap into only through the the FBI's eyes, because all of a sudden now we're following Mark Ruffalo because we need to be kept in the dark as much as he is, and all of a sudden now we're we're getting played, and it just it, that's when it totally falls apart because we lose the people that we're rooting for. Yes, yep. who, which are who? Well, <laughs> the magicians. It was the magicians. The, the are we rooting for the magicians? Wait, now? At that are point, we? we were. At that point, I totally that was. Point, Absolutely. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's that's the. I think that's the whole thing. Well, that that was, you don't know. You don't know whether to even root for the magicians. Well, I certainly was then. I mean, we're talking yeah, about that, the interrogation yeah. scene, and at that point, oh, okay. I was one hundred percent behind Eisenberg and company. Gotcha. Uh, okay. And although, you know, although I did feel that Eisenberg, that see, and I felt like I felt like the clip that I saw. On the trailer was different than the clip that I saw there because I felt like he was just he was he was mean he was it felt like he was um, arrogant like and mean in a way that was inappropriate to what was happening like it it felt like he had a personal vendetta a personal grudge against Mark Ruffalo's character I didn't feel like his some a lot of what he was doing made sense in that interrogation room it was just like he hated law the law or something you, you know there's right. i think there's something to that and that that gets to your to your social network uh comparison too because you know in the social yeah. network we had that same sort of re- response from from him and yet it was earned because he you could tell that there was such a personal violation that he he took this as such a personal violation in in the social network and here what what I felt like it was earned was crafty arrogance and not spiteful arrogance. Like I I don't feel like we were quite at spiteful yet. Yeah, but it, but felt... it did come across spiteful. And now that you say that, Chad, I I really agree with you that yeah. that I I felt that he did come across very hateful. And thinking back on it, it was like it, it really didn't make sense that he was acting that way. And and you know what we get lost? I think to that point, what we get lost in is the is the flash of the handcuff switch, right? Which is great, but it what is underneath that and what you lose is the fact that he boiled up to a lot of rage awful fast that without that special effect going on in there, we likely would have been left actually thinking, why is he so mad? Yeah. And you the know? phone switch, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, I absolutely get that. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, okay, so uh, how about, uh, you know, I, did anyone else uh, sit there through this movie and think, wow, somebody's really excited about having uh, <laughs> Michael Caine and Morgan Freeman on screen again? Are we getting a little tired of this? <laughs> well did you okay let me ask you this Pete. like did uh, you that you scene in the bar when they come together it's like god did we just let's set up the camera so we can have a, another fantastic quintessential scene that can only be happen because michael kane and morgan freeman are on screen together 
again. again. Boy, well, I tell the, you though, was it just me or did Morgan Freeman look ages older in this? Oh my film? gosh, yeah. that's what I was going to ask you guys. Did you did you feel? I felt like Morgan Freeman was talking slow. I, I don't know if you guys saw, but like when he was talking, I, it felt like he was talking like like a half a pace or a full pace from what he normally speaks. It didn't feel like his energy felt low, and it felt like different to me. It wasn't the same. It felt like when he walked into rooms, he felt slow and older. Maybe that was the scary. I didn't, I didn't notice it. because of the earrings. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the extra who got to cling to him the whole time. Yeah. His right. Assistant. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. So this film was. What do we know about how this film was was written? We know. I mean, it's Ed Ed Solomon and Boaz Yakin and uh, um, uh, I think who else has a. Edward credit Rycourt. Edward Rycourt. What do we what do we know about this? Uh, it, the story credits go to Boaz Yakin and Edward Rycourt. Yeah. But uh, what do we know about this? I mean, is there? It, please tell me, Andy. You are the you're the one who has the the writing source. Please tell me that there was struggle and discord <laughs> uh, among the team uh, who wrote this movie because that would actually, in some way, redeem it for me. You know, I I don't. No, I, I do see that, uh, you know, you've got the uh, the ampersand between Boaz Yakin and Edward Rycourt, meaning they worked as a team. And then Ed Solomon has the A-N-D and, which means he came on and and modified it afterward as a as a, uh, a writer coming in to clean up the script or beforehand. I'm assuming that Ed Solomon came in afterwards since Boaz Yakin and Edward Rycourt were also credited with the story. But, you know, the way that the WGA credits things, it's always such a murky quagmire trying to figure out, uh, you know, how, who did what and everything. And without right. really knowing the backstory, it's, it's hard to say. Boaz Yakin's uh, certainly been around a bit more. I mean, he more than Edward Rycourt, certainly, who it looks like this is his only credit. Uh, but Boaz Yakin, you know, he's written and directed a good number of uh, projects. Um, not anything I would say is impressive. Things like Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights, From Dusk Till Dawn to Texas Blood Money. You know, nothing that uh, uh, it really excites me. Um, I know you didn't mention The Rookie. Uh, okay, there's one. <laughs> There's no. one. No, no. You need to clarify. I... That's the Charlie Sheen. <laughs> yes, the Charlie yeah. Sheen. Not, not, yeah, that's not, true. Not the that's Dennis true. Quaid rookie. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah. I I I, I should mention it since it is that one. He also, however, uh, directed "Remember yeah, the Titans." Yeah, which isn't one of my which favorites. isn't one of my favorites either. Okay, yeah. I'm having trouble. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't. I mean, and he he's a you know he he has produced he he and. Uh, I think it's Eli Roth. They have, uh, uh, I, I don't know if they still do, but they had a, a production company, did their little horror movies and everything. And, right. uh, you know, that was some of the stuff that he, like he produced the Hostel, Hostel 2, some of those movies with, uh, with uh, Eli, Eli Roth. Roth. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, Ed Solomon, it, uh, you know, he's been around a lot longer um, and has, you know, been involved in a lot of bigger projects like Men in Black both the Bill and Ted's movies. Super uh, Mario Brothers. Exactly. What <laughs> planet are you from? <laughs> <laughs> Mom and Dad Save the World, a.k.a. Uh, Prometheus. <laughs> uh, oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, I keep forgetting that. 
Wow, yes. That amazing how, could, scene. how could you forget? So I, I don't know. I to me, it seems like a script that they they had some uh, rework done on. I don't know uh, much more about it. I you know, there's not at this point since the film just came out. I don't think there's a whole lot that I've read about uh, you know how it came to be and and who did what and everything. I don't know about any trouble or anything. So who knows? Who knows what uh, what murky depths this script had to go through to become what it was that uh, disappointed us all what was the what was the general uh, audience reaction chad you already mentioned that people were laughing okay. at some of those scenes but what i mean as you go well, as you think about your audience uh, each of you when you were sitting there what did what do you feel like people walked away with they clapped like everybody at at the end of mine like clapped they stood up and clapped and I sat there going, are you guys they, insane? Wait, they stood up for they real? They stood up. and Yeah, the people behind us, there was a bunch of people that stood oh. up and clapped at the end of it. Because they were leaving or just no. because? <laughs> Good, it's over. Good. <laughs> we can go home now. No, no, no. It felt like they were, they, they clapped at different parts of the movie. Um, like, you know, the whole cuff thing. Everybody goes. Very enthusiastic audience. Oh, they were. And they, just, they clapped at that. They clapped. At, and it just seemed like it didn't matter that. Oh, they all just disappeared into a carousel. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well, that's yeah. really pretty cool. And then the key thing. And it, at the end, they all clapped and they're like, what? You know, they're like, you know, whistling, whatever. Yahoo, that was great. And I sat there thinking, geez, like, are they clapping because they enjoyed that last trick? Because they were all caught off guard. We all were. But they especially enjoyed the fact that, oh, my gosh, it's Mark Ruffalo. Oh, and and they you could you, you know people were whispering and talking about it and so it was really interactive. My crowd was. What about you guys in Phoenix? You know, mine wasn't uh, quite as uh, as excited as Chad's was. It was definitely a full house, but um, I, I think there were a few people clapping at the end. I mean, they were definitely into it as the film went along, uh, laughing and everything. There was one line that I, I God, I wish I could remember what it was. Oh, it was it was when Mark Ruffalo it was actually putting the uh, airborne into his coffee. Actually, one person found that really funny and laughed, and, and everybody really got to enjoy laughing at that guy because that was uh, probably one of the funniest parts of the movie when that guy laughed at that. Uh, what part? Other than, <laughs> other part? than that, it wasn't uh, it wasn't anything you know to write home about. Uh, what, uh, I saw that it was a it was a very full house. Uh, no, when we got a big laugh, uh, our 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 crowd got a big laugh out of uh, Mark Ruffalo running on the stage in uh, in New Orleans and yelling "freeze," and then you know all the hypnotized football players yeah. tackling him. Other than that, it was pretty quiet through through the end. There was there were a few people behind me uh, that were like, "Oh yeah, we." We we were we went on vacation. We were at that bridge. Yeah, that's the way it is. And it was more about the facts of like being a tour guide talking about the the bridge. And then uh, as the credits were rolling, some people were going, I I'm a little confused. I heard from a few people. So not there was some applause a little bit, but you know there was there was some good energy in the theater. But I, at the end, it felt like there were some people kind of like trying to make sense of of everything. So. I had I that was that was I think similar to what I experienced in Portland. It was a very crowded theater, uh, which I thought was a, a great sign. Uh, and I saw it in the middle of the day on a Friday, and it was it, you know it was like that that kind of early afternoon show, and it was it was pretty crowded. A bunch of nerds who uh, were playing hooky, 
and um, it was uh, it, it was pretty it was very enthusiastic going in and very somber walking out. Like there was just no energy in the in the crowd. It just felt like very kind of dry. So I, I I sort of feel like it 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 captured the general tone of of our collective experience. One of the one of the real highlights I think for me was the uh, it was not the CG magic. You know, it was not the flowy curtains coming from Isla's. Um, you know, <laughs> costume or whatever. It was the uh, 3D uh, projection mapping that they did on the building in the final sequence. And and I, uh, you know, I've been a huge fan of this technology uh, for a long time. I don't know. I think the leader in this space has long been New Former, uh, NU Former. Uh, and they have been, you know, they've been long doing these major advertising campaigns for, um, you know, for the big brands, essentially redesigning bu- buildings with 3D projection. Uh, you can find them at newformer.com. I don't know if Newformer is the is the team that actually developed the the 3D projection map for the building at the in the final show. Uh, if you guys know uh, more than I do, I, I'd love to hear it. I've been trying to figure out who actually did that, but it is a fantastic uh, effect sequence, and I just love how they how they rip that building apart, um, you know, yeah, vir- cool. virtually. And and to know that that is a practical effect, like that stuff you can you can see right now and on buildings around the world, and uh, you know, that's it's very very cool stuff. How do you spell that? U former new just- new N U. Oh, new former. New former, and it's actually better to go on YouTube and actually do some uh, searching on YouTube for uh, uh, 3D projection mapping. They can do motion capture uh, mapping now too. I mean, it's just really cool stuff. VW, Mercedes, Starbucks—they've been using them forever. Uh, um, and um, you know, it's—it's—I've been surprised. I was telling Andy when I uh, we talked the other day. I've just really been very surprised that this technology hasn't been used in a film yet uh, because it's—it's—it's it's, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and wow. and and honestly, the stuff you'll see on YouTube is is better in many respects than than I think what they did. It's it's even more sort of stunning. Um, so, wow, it's good stuff. That was a real yeah. highlight highlight for me. The visuals, I think, in general are highlight. One of the things that Andy and I have been talking about on on the uh, other, uh, you know, the magic films, the Prestige and the Illusionist, was the sense of the practical versus the CG magic, and the the sense of the treatment of magic. Uh, in these films that are ostensibly about magic. What was your sense, guys, about, uh, you know, how they treated magic? Did you feel like they treated the magic with with any sort of respect, or was it more of a set dressing, Steve? Uh, that was the thing that really bothered me about this, is you, you we, we're in, they're introduced as, you know, these street performers, which is up-close magic, and then we end up with, like, this, you know, billion-dollar special effects stuff where I didn't get a sense of like that, that real, that the magic was this, you know, aside from the interrogation room. And even that was like, okay, the handcuff keys and the Pepsi can and all that there, just the way it was shot and everything. I didn't get a sense of like, there was a trick there. It was, it was more, you know, just, Oh, we're going to edit this and it's going to look like something magical happened, or we're going to have some CG. I didn't get a, a real solid sense of the performance of, of magic. And, you know, it was, I just felt like, yeah, you buy a bunch of stuff and high tech things, and you can do you can get away with whatever you want. I was for me, I it it did not portray what I expect out of a film about magic in the way it, it handled the 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 magic tricks. I uh, chat Andy. Who? What? Um, I felt like you know it's it's really hard to do. I think magic in a film because magic it, it, film is already magical. 
And so you can't, it's hard to decide, like I think what Steve was saying, it's hard to decipher what is, what's actual magic. Is this a trick or is this a something that's, how do we respect what's actually being performed, I guess? Because you don't, you don't really, um, it's not set up that way. It's set up in this very, they, they set it up in a very technological fashion. So right in the beginning, part of it was this technological thing when they walk into that room and there's this like, oh, this, the water spills and oh, there's this thing. Is that magic? Oh no, it's technology or way. So you're not sure what is, you know, even, even from the film's point of view, you're like, okay, you're watching a lot of special effects going on. You're going, is that, what is, what, what are we watching? What is the, what is magical? And so I think it's hard to have that wonder and have that kind of amusement. I mean, when you're talking about the illusionist and more so, I think the prestige those things were set in the day where, okay, we're, we're kind of the setting is even sort of like, hey, we're allowed to, we're allowed to believe in magic because there is no technology. And here we are set in a place where, okay, well, how is the trick done? This is interesting. It, it, the focus is the magic. Whereas this doesn't allow the focus to be magic because it's, it's technology and magic. And so I think it's kind of hard. I, that's how I, I, how I got it. It was hard for me to be amused by the magic. Well, and, you know, Pete, you and I were talking about this a little bit. In particular, the thing that, that bugged me is, like, you know, if you're going to do a magic show, at least make it look like it's, it's a magic show. I mean, we have that scene when in the, in the first Four Horsemen show when Isla Fisher pulls something out, and it turns into this giant flowing cape that swirls around on the stage and then wishes off to reveal this giant, you know, teleportation device. It's like it, it, the whole thing looks so CG and it's so unbelievable that it would be something a, a magician would do that that to me bugs me. It's just like, you know, if you're doing a film about magicians, at least make it look like something that they could yeah. really do as opposed to something that's so far fetched that it's it's not ever believable as stage magic. Likewise, with the giant bubbles that she's floating around with in the air. I'm like, I, I you know, maybe that is something that magicians have worked out, but I had such a hard time with the bubbles. I just could. I, I felt like I was watching Oz again. I'm like, come on, what is it with these bubbles these days? That the, I also had problems with the bubbles. I think my, you know, my uh, my take on it is very similar to, to Steve. It's this idea that you give me a setup that they're practical street performers. It's this idea that they've betrayed their own perspective on magic, uh, yeah. you know, through the course of the film. But the the specific trick I had the hardest time with was was I think as a result of having watched The Prestige in too close a proximity to this film. Uh, in The Prestige, mm. we have the disappearing bird trick with the collapsing cage, right? Where they, mm -hmm. they do the cage, the bird's in the cage, they lift the cape off the, or the, the, you know, the napkin off the cage, and the cage is collapsed, and the, or the, the bird is gone. And it turns out that these birds were, the bird was actually smashed and killed in... <laughs> The bottom of this cage, right? That was the right. eight, late 1800s uh, <laughs> trick. And so then they put this this guy from the, from France in the giant smashing machine to send him <laughs> to the Parisian bank. And I'm thinking, that dude just got smashed in the bottom of this giant pneumatic uh, press. Right. There is no way that that would actually happen. <laughs> So I I was uh, I was a little bit stunned by the the horror uh, aspect of this film. Yeah. I don't... You so know, you guys it's... you guys need to see this movie again now that you know how I think. Uh, that's right. 
that's true. Yeah, I didn't yeah. make that correlation, Pete. Yeah, that's bad. Bird. Yeah. He's, so you think they should have? They sh- poor smashed they sh- Frenchman at the bottom of the theater. So you think they should have had a little blood come out? Just yeah. so the audience would have <laughs> gone, just what? a little, little red spray. I mean, they did that with the the piranha, the piranha scene. Yeah. They which, did. As a, which, if you guys know anything about piranha, they've done tests and studies, and really, it takes. They don't eat people like that. I, that you have to ask shows how little you know about how, what I know <laughs> about piranhas. I don't know what you know about piranhas, but let me school you on piranha. I'd been better if they would have dumped a shark in there. Just a big fat right. shark. Just one, like one giant shark that doesn't even actually fit. Or a whale. Right. Just have a whale. And they're like, oh, I'm kill a whale and kill the person. Uh, see, so this movie's getting better already. It is. We've made it better. Uh, all right. I uh, the, the movie, actually, I'm trying to f- uh, figure out how it's doing on the uh, charts for opening weekend. It's not, it's, it doesn't look like it's cracked the top 10. I see oh, as of as of yesterday it had made 10 million. It's got to uh, be doing better than After Earth. They were projecting it to make uh I think 27.5 million opening weekend. The budget for the film was uh 75 million, the production budget. Mm-hmm. So, uh you know, they'll they'll have a long way to go to get up to that number. I mean, they can probably get it internationally, but uh yeah, we'll see how they do. Wow. Uh, I I would say that if you can't get enough of Isla Fisher, uh, you should be watching the new season of Arrested Development. Oh, is she on there lot? She... I got her plow through that. <laughs> she plays she plays Ron Howard's uh, one of Ron Howard's children, uh, and of course oh. Ron Ron Howard is the narrator of the of the show and also a character in in the show, and it's. Uh, it ends up being oh. great, but he narrates himself. Uh, it's actually it's brilliant. I right. I think this is a terrific season. I'm thrilled that they're okay. doing it. And they do. Are, is anybody watching it? Are, anybody? I've started. I, I haven't it. gotten very far yet. Have you seen the the gimmick that they do with the uh, with the I, the? I've gotten one episode. <laughs> stealing. Have you seen the 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 watermark? Have you uh, noticed the watermark? Uh, yeah. What's up with that? <laughs> It's, it's it is such, you know it's such great insider stuff with the, this show you watch this show a thousand times you get new stuff out of it every time in yeah. this case i was driven uh, quite mad by this watermark which yeah. doesn't uh, happen the whole time through it just seemed it seemed to be random uh, mm-hmm. and it says what is it it's it's uh, th- uh like, it's like stream stream thief streamer pro streamer stream, pro, stream thief so, pro or something yeah and and it's a it's a watermark as if you had ripped the uh, like a dvd right and it put this watermark over over the actual screen and it, it turns out it turns out those sequences or though that watermark only occurs on very specific sequences they're only sequences that came from prior seasons they're flashback seasons now of course this show used to be on fox and now it's right. on netflix and so the gimmick is that they couldn't get the rights to actually rebroadcast prior seasons <laughs> so they and them. so they ripped them from themselves to actually do netflix and do it on the netflix thing. but it's such oh, an inside nice. joke now that i i mean i watched three or four episodes of it and i was pulling my hair out that this yeah. is this is uh, ridiculous that netflix would catch would not catch this i i yeah. That's what I've been saying. So that's hilarious. Now it's now it's actually really it's quite amusing, and it, it, still, it, it doesn't still, stop. It still will bug me <laughs> yeah. seeing it, but <laughs> that's genius, though. Yeah, it is genius. Oh so uh, anyhow, check uh, check out the new season of Arrested Development streaming on Netflix. They are not a sponsor of this show, but it's genuinely a great show. So, it is all right, genuinely. Uh, hey, thanks everybody for taking the time to talk about this. Uh, what are we gonna do? 
Because well, we, I, I think we either need to hang up our, our. Uh, I, I blame Chad. Hang up the show. I, I blame Chad. He talked us out of Star Trek. We well, no, Star still, Trek. it still wouldn't have gone well with Star Trek. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that and and let's say predominantly because of you, Steve. <laughs> what? <laughs> Buzzkill Joy, Buzzkill Joy. I just had to tell you guys after I saw it, now you see me last night, I was so, uh, you know, just broken over it. I went and saw f- the uh, Fast and Furious 6. Yeah, I, I actually oh. want to see that. It looks fun. It I was really good. It's really good. Why are Same you saying with... that? Are you being serious about this? I'm not kidding you. I went to see that with no... Ex- but see, I went to go see it going, okay, this will be kind of fun to watch, but it did... That would have been a fun one to talk about. That would have been really <laughs> fun to talk about. <laughs> and you know that what? That sounds strange to say, but it's really true. It does sound strange to say. Yes. It does. It sounds Likewise, strange to of, hear. One of, I think, my possibly one of my favorite films of the year thus far which I never would have expected is pain and gain. What? Really? Right. I never, wow. ever would have expected that, but really? it, I had so much fun watching that movie that it's, wow. uh, it's definitely... I think they, don't they revoke your film school cred for liking a Michael Bay film? <laughs> 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 Well, I've got Taxi Driver on my side, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Mark Wahlberg, through the entire preview of that, looked like he was holding his breath to make himself look that big. <laughs> <laughs> looked like he was just like puffing on his chest. He looked. <laughs> did, did you guys think? It didn't look. Oh, that's too good. He looked like a balloon version of himself. Tough to put him next to the rock. It's tough to put him next to the rock. It's it's nice to know that even guys like like Mark Wahlberg, you know, need to puff up occasionally. That's right. That makes me feel better. We need to do a silent, a secret show about Fast and Furious 6. A secret show? A secret show. That's how much you stand by this this commitment to Fast and Furious? It has to be a secret? (laughs) No, it'll be a secret show, and then everybody will want to hear in on it. Anybody listening right. now will, you know, know it's a secret show. Yeah, it'll, then, be, it'll, it'll totally go viral when we don't tell oh, anybody about it. That's right. That's what happens. What are we, are, we're, we're going to hang up well, now because we're going to well, talk about gonna, next we're time. We're going to flick chart it real quick. Oh, we got a oh, flick chart. Yeah, of course, this will be quick. Yeah. Now you see me or Cloud Atlas. I will go with Cloud Atlas on this one. Oh my gosh. Can I throw up at both of those ideas? Let me just throw up <laughs> now. Jeez. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen Cloud Atlas, so I'm Cloud I'll Atlas is three hours. Cloud Atlas is three hours of now you see me. <laughs> no, Cloud, Cloud Atlas is ambitious and fully entertaining. Now you see me is a, a mess that you can't, uh, you don't want to think about afterwards. Cloud Atlas isn't a mess. <laughs> it's, it's it's a mess, but it's it's, it's an ambitious mess. And it, I right, it is it. an ambitious mess. You're right. Okay, maybe Cloud Atlas. It's messy, not Jeez. a mess. <laughs> Cloud Atlas for me. All right. Thank you. Uh, Clute. Now you see me Clute. Pete, Clute. you and I, I think Clute. are still the only ones who have seen Clute. <laughs> uh, Key Largo. I'm going with that. Over oh, yes. Oh, yes. Sick movies we've all seen. We can't. It's automated. Yeah. It's, well, it's based off of things they've reviewed. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, here and we go. Now you see me or Alien Resurrection. I'm going with Alien <laughs> Resurrection at this point. <laughs> because it's got aliens in it. That's right. <laughs> and they're both directed by French filmmakers, so... <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm actually gonna go with Alien Resurrection again. Alien Resurrection. I would take myself. Yeah, Steve. Yeah, I, yeah. That's, <laughs> yes. Okay. Man, this is a race to the bottom. I love He's, it. You rather have poop on a stick or poop on a log? <laughs> <laughs> now you Come see on. me or Marty. I can't believe Marty is below Alien Resurrection. Oh my goodness! Uh, you guys hated Marty. You guys just 
ripped that uh, one. I didn't. I couldn't. I enjoyed it more. Well, than you enjoyed it, but said there wasn't much there. And it I isn't. It's Marty, very so light. Yeah. It's very yeah. light. I still would probably mm-hmm. go with Marty over this. Wow. Okay. I've never seen Marty. There. Yeah. Yeah. In the context of this conversation, Marty is the. Uh, is it's the... More, it's more entertaining. What is that really? I What's don't know. It's 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 it doesn't offend me. It doesn't offend. Okay. Yeah. I was, uh, this is a this is a Casablanca moment, right? I mean, this is when yeah. uh, you know you this know is, this you, is when, you detest yeah. me, don't you? If I gave you any thought, I probably would. That's Marty to me. Like if <laughs> okay. I thought about it, I'd probably hate it, but it's really not offensive. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, oh, here we go. Now you see me or Rush. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, Wait. it has jumped right straight to the bottom. Why? Well, because I, I'll take now you see me over. I will. Take, I will take now you see now me you over see me. Rush. All right. So it's the right? second. So the second bottom. to last. 90 out of 91. Wow. So wait, so we said this was worse than like 42, which we said was just a really bland after school special. I didn't get to be yeah. on, on that one. I can't believe you that's guys. That's because that this editor. one pisses me off. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 And 40, 42 may have been, may have had the balance thrown had Chad been on here because for him, that was a spiritual awakening and he didn't I get to be that. a part I of that. It was a good movie. And, well, and I agree. I think. This one, it tries to do something, and then it just completely undermines itself all the way through yeah. to the point where yeah. it's... Yeah. All right. I, I, I think uh, Now You See Me is willfully disobedient. <laughs> willfully disobedient. <laughs> it's okay. that child? It's that yeah. child. I, I think it's just, again, there's a bias against the Francos on this Joe, show. I you know, that's and what I, it is. I, I'm not gonna, I am not going to be saddled with that because, again... I, I think, think it was Chad that had the issue. It was. Place. He's. You're right. He is, and it's it's Tom no, that has the issue thrusting. with people in white, who wear <laughs> wear white and astronauts or or things that fall. I don't know. <laughs> this is uh, this has been a real treat as always, gentlemen, and uh, so I l- deeply look forward to uh, n- next month's film, which uh, likely will also be terrible. Given yes. our given our track record, oh, so please come and come to the come, show. Come, come and, and watch Pete cry. <laughs> is it? Are, are we, I don't want to talk please about it. Me. We're gonna we're gonna hang up because it's gonna be a surprise. Yes. And so we're gonna hang up and keep talking. So those, uh, thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, Steve, thank you. Chad, Andy, thank you guys so much. As always, thanks for having us on. Thank you. you. I'm Michael Kane. I'm Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and I'm not related to these guys. You're my son. Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. 
And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash Originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash Originals and get your next read today. 